0: Snap Studios.
1: To cast out demons in his name would grant me power, wealth, and fame, but I will do what I will do, for demons have their uses too. (laughs) You're listening to Spooked. Stay tuned. Step Judgment is brought to you by Progressive, where customers who save by switching their home and car save nearly $800 on average. Quote at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates national average 12-month savings of $793 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2021 and May 2022. Potential savings will vary. From KQED and PRX you've crossed over to Spoot. some people. Some people are friendly to me, but I don't really have any friends, because we move all the time. Houses, kids, teachers, they come and go. My only constant is the church, and every time we go to church, the pastor cites the same verse, Exodus 22:18, 18, thou shalt not suffer a witch to live. I know who he means. My grandmother, when people need help and their preachers don't have any answers, when there's no remedy from the doctor, they beg her for assistance. Even as they mutter, witch underneath their breath. Still, she helps them if she can. But the church folk, they'll never understand. So I hold my tongue. In school, I'm already the odd kid the new kid, the weird kid. I certainly can't tell anyone that sometimes I hear things too. See things. Not all the time. In fact, it's rare, super rare. And I'm not for sure, but I don't think I'm insane. Still, I know telling anyone would be a really bad idea. The world of this church, the world outside of the church, two distinct places. Each secret from the other. And a part of me stays secret from both. Then in seventh grade, we move again. Of course, in the first few seconds of stepping into Crestwood Middle School, I'm immediately getting the crap knocked out of me. Freak! punk! Huh? I'm used to this welcoming beatdown. Later that week, we go to church fire and bombast. The devil wants your soul and the Lord will not suffer a witch to live. I'm used to this as well. But then something crazy happens. The cool kid at church, a kid the girls like, a kid everyone likes, he invites me to his place after church for something called a sleepover. And I've never had a sleepover. So I go to Craig Sterling's house. We play video games. Shoot fireworks off his back porch. Call girls and hang up when the fathers pick up the phone in the morning. Craig's dad makes eggs sterling. A tower of eggs and cheese and meat and more cheese. It's delicious. I end up going over to Craig's place a lot. A lot. Some summers... I practically live over there. And Craig, Craig is the first person I tell about the voices, the visions. I tell him how my grandmother, who's not even here anymore, sometimes she still visits me, sits at the foot of my bed, says certain things, skip a generation, and I'm trying to figure out what that means. And Craig, Craig doesn't tell me I'm crazy. He doesn't tell me I'm going to hell. He just listens. Let me play Miss Pac-Man. And I can't fully explain how being able to finally tell the truth it changes me. Decades later, I still love him for that. And a few years ago, on stamp Judgment, it's a small experiment We ask people to tell us their stories About the things that shouldn't be here But are right here just the same About things that don't make any sense We ask for your stories And it feels like A dam breaks So many people reach out Either to share what happened to them Or just like Craig did for me To let us know that they are listening This community you you've asked me to make spooked available to anyone who dares to listen and that is why i am so proud to let you know at long last spooked drops weekly Spook storytelling each and every week on each and every podcast platform understand finally telling the truth to my buddy Craig all those years ago, it changed me forever. And maybe, perhaps, someone sharing their truth. It might just change you as well. Stook stars. is, when I was little, I had a paper route. But then I don't like to get out of bed in the morning, especially when it's cold outside, and I had a lot of upset customers. But spook listener Alyssa Van Pelt, well, she's a different type of person. Alyssa took her paper route obligations seriously.
0: Spooked. (laughs)
2: When I was in middle school, my friend Jenny had a paper route. Her family was going to be going on vacation for a week, and she asked if I would substitute her route for her while they were gone. I've always been a morning person, and I thought it sounded kind of like an adventure. And, of course, there was a little bit of money involved, maybe 15 bucks or something, but that was big money to me (laughs) at the time. I was going to buy some sour straw candies and some makeup. The really good stuff with all the sparkles, you know. (laughs) Before her family had left for vacation, she walked me through the route and shown me all the houses that I was going to be delivering to. The route was about a mile long. Jenny said it usually took her about an hour. I felt pretty confident I was going to be wearing rollerblades to kind of speed things up. First thing in the morning, my alarm went off. I threw on my shorts and my t-shirt and my bandana and my rollerblades and headed out toward Jenny's house to start rolling the papers up. I opened the bales, I rolled the papers. There were about 50 of them. You would roll up the newspapers, put a rubber band around them, and then just stuff this smock with these huge pockets front and back full of newspapers. I headed out on the route. It was summertime, so the sun was out. It was a lot of fun to go and get the papers on everybody's porch. It was nice to have a little bit of responsibility and not have an adult looking over my shoulder. I was feeling pretty boss girl. I was approaching this house in particular It was a house I'd passed a million times without noticing it. Single-story house. It was blue. And they had kind of a long concrete walk up to their porch. And you wanted to try to get the newspapers on people's porches. I rolled up that long walk, dropped the newspaper on the porch, and heard a car pull up behind me. I turned around, and this guy gets out of the driver's seat. He says, Hey. The man was average height, white guy, younger, balding a little bit, thin. I'd never seen him before. And he kind of waved. And he said, Do you live around here? said yeah and he says
1: do you deliver the newspaper
2: he sounded really friendly even neighborly and I said yeah and then he lunged closer grabbed me by my shoulders and threw me in the trunk of his car and shut the lid I woke up in my bed like (gasps) oh my god okay that didn't just happen it was just a dream this is just a stupid dream it was about four o'clock in the morning and at that point there's no sense in even trying to catch another few winks i just got up and started getting ready for the route my dad was up and he was in the kitchen puttering around the kitchen, getting ready to make some breakfast. I came out and was like, you're not going to believe this dream I just had. I told him all about the dream. I was hoping that he would help calm my nerves, reassure me that it was just a nightmare. He was listening and kind of laughing. He was like, listen, it's just a dream, it's just a nightmare. But, you know, if it makes you feel a little safer take this knife with you. And he literally opened the cutlery drawer and handed me a steak knife. It was like a cheap steak knife with a wooden handle. I didn't feel like he was taking it seriously, but it did make me feel a little safer to have it with me. I just carried the knife in my hand and I went out the back door, strapped on my rollerblades and headed out to Jenny's house. The newspapers were there, and I opened the bales, and I rolled the newspapers up and put on the big old smock. I was loaded down with newspapers front and back. I put the knife in my smock in between the newspapers, and I headed out. I didn't feel the way I did in my dream. In my dream, I felt free and so grown up, and now I just felt scared and small, like somebody could grab me around every corner. The house that was in the dream was only a couple blocks from Jenny's house. What was going through my head was, I have just got to get this newspaper delivered to this house as soon as that newspaper's on the porch and that man is not there, I'll be safe. It'll be fine. It was just a dream. I just kept my head down, rolled up to the porch, and dropped the newspaper on the porch. And I was so relieved, like, this is over. I can finish my paper route and go home and eat some breakfast. That's when I heard the car pull up behind me. I turned around and I saw him. A white guy, average height, thin, balding a little bit. You know, that feeling when your blood runs cold. I felt that. It was the man from my dream. Son of a bitch. He was getting out of his car, approaching me, and he waved. And he said...
1: Do you live around here?
2: I wanted it to be different than it was in my dream. I wanted to change the script a little bit. So I said, no. And he says,
1: do you deliver the newspaper?
2: And I said, no. This is absurd. I'm on rollerblades, and I'm wearing a huge smock full of newspapers. But I was so scared. I grabbed that steak knife my dad had given me and I held it out and I said, don't come any closer to me, do not come one step closer to me or I will stab you, I swear to God, I will stab you. His expression didn't change, he just got in his car and drove away. in the same place, shaking, holding the knife for a few minutes. And I went and sat on the curb to stop shaking and pull it together. Like, there's no way that that just happened. And if I hadn't talked to my dad that morning and told him about my dream, I might not have even believed it myself. And then I finished the paper route. I had made this commitment to Jenny. I'd didn't want her to get in trouble. I bladed home, dad was in the kitchen, and I told him exactly what happened, and his response was a whole lot of, "Uh uh-huh, sure. I didn't feel like he really believed me. I told Jenny about what happened, and she was really freaked out. Jenny and I looked pretty similar, and it was her route. He had probably been stalking Jenny. I kept an eye out for that guy for a long time, but I never saw him again, and I never found out who he was. What was it that saved me? Why did he just get in his car and drive away? It couldn't have been a steak knife. This is a grown man versus a middle school girl. I just don't know now. There's all these terrible things that happen in the world. (laughs) Why would I be protected on a paper route? I don't know. But I know, because it was the exact same situation as in my dream, that if it had played out the same way, I would have been in that man's trunk.
1: We are so glad that Alyssa's okay And so grateful she shared her story with the spook That original score was by Yari Bundy It was produced by Ann Ford We're speaking our truths today And Roberta Roberta grew up on her grandparent's farm in the 1940s, rural Kentucky. It was an isolated place, the kind of place a little girl could really use a good neighbor. Spooked.
0: to get to school I had to go through three pastures, past a dark grove of pines. I would hurry by those woods on down that dirt road a little bit to the main highway. And there across the highway was the one room school that I attended. Ooh, there were so many times I was caught in a storm <laughs> going or coming from school there were no shelters between school and home, we would get those violent thunderstorms. I would just be terrified. The good thing about going to a one-room school was that the teacher could let us go home early if she wanted to, Didn't have to call the the Board of Education or the superintendent. She could just say, hurry home. So most of the time, I'd get home before the storms hit. Sometimes when it was storming, I'd have a little bit of luck. My neighbor, a man named Jim Cravens, who lived on the next farm, would be going to town and he would walk with me. He liked to make sure that I was okay in the storms because he knew I was scared. He'd say, Roberta, if you're ever caught out in a storm, don't get under a single tree because that's more apt to get struck by lightning. They call those trees widow makers because they'll blow over in a storm and kill whoever might be trying to shelter under them. So I always call him my stormwalker. He was a rough man, I mean a big man. And people wouldn't you know, they didn't want to cross him or anything like that. But he and my dad were good friends. He was just always nice to my sister and me. Back then, they would have cloth sacks for feed for the horses. The cloth would have pretty designs on it. I mean, it would be just like going to the store and buying so many yards of material to make a dress. And if you bought three or four of those sacks that had the same design, you could make dresses or whatever you wanted to out of them. Jim would save those and um, give them to my mom and, and she would make little dresses and things for me I felt so dressed up I was sitting in school one spring day I was looking out over Russell Creek Hill I saw the ugliest nastiest looking cloud I'd ever seen in my life It had the black-blue base, but there was green and yellow mixed in with it, an ugly color, and the clouds were swirling. The teacher saw that cloud, too. She said, now, kids, this is going to be bad. She said, now, you've got time to get home if you hurry don't you stop and play anywhere along the way. You go straight home. She didn't have to tell me. I was running down that road as soon as she let us out. I cut across the highway. I just kept running and running and holding my side. It would hurt, I'd run so fast. I knew I was in trouble the cloud was not going toward the school anymore. It had come to a little stream, and it had changed its course. And now it was coming right across the fields, right toward me. Now I looked around, and the thunder started booming, and the lightning was flashing, and I simply had to have shelter. I did the one thing I'd been told never to do. There was one big pine by the road, and I got under it. I got as close to the trunk of that tree as I could, and I just huddled there, crying. The roaring got louder. I didn't know what to do or where to go. Then, above that roaring, I heard this snap, like a dead piece of wood snapping. And I looked up, and there was Jim. He had on his farm clothes a shirt and the overalls. It was like when you're out in the rain and the rain starts and you're not really wet yet. It was that kind of wet. But he was motioning for me to follow him back in those woods, like hurry. Hurry hurry, listen to me, hurry, follow me. And I ran out from under the tree, I ran into the edge of the woods, and he pointed to a little ditch, a little gully that had been washed out by other rains. I got down in it, and I covered my eyes, but I did look back just once, just in time to see that tree that I'd been huddled under fall over in the wind. I remember that rain beating down on me, tingling like little pellets of something. I stayed in that ditch. It seemed to me like it was forever. When it was over, I looked around and I thought, where did Jim go? But I didn't have time to worry about where he took shelter because I heard my dad calling for me. Roberta. I ran out of the woods into the pasture and my dad was coming and I ran to him and he picked me up and carried me home. And I was so tired I went to sleep. I didn't sleep very long, probably half an hour. When I woke up, I was safe inside that little farmhouse. Mom had saved some supper for me and my favorite dessert, dried fried apple pies. And I was just eating that food, just shoveling it in. I was so hungry. Mom and Dad were telling me how proud they were that I'd known what to do when the storm came. I said I didn't I didn't know where to go until Jim came for me mom and dad looked at each other kind of funny and mom said I don't know what you thought you saw out there today honey but I was going to tell you when you got home from school today honey Jim couldn't have come for you he died at noon today People said he had heart dropsy. I don't know what the term would be today. Mom explained that that meant he had fluid around his heart and it would smother him. Sometimes he couldn't breathe. I just sat there looking at her and then started crying. Now, a lot of years have passed since that time. I taught at Southern Middle School here in Louisville. Sometimes a tornado would be coming toward the school, and the kids didn't want to admit that they were scared. But they would be asking me, Do you think there are stormwalkers here? I would talk to them about... We each have our own personal stormwalker. It might be our mother, our father, a teacher, a friend somebody who helps us through all kinds of storms, not just a thunderstorm, but all kinds of bad things that might happen to us. I don't travel now much, I'm 83, but every time I go back to my hometown, I go to his grave. I usually say, Jim, you saved my life. I thank you for being my very own personal stormwalker.
1: The queen of the cold-blooded tales herself, Roberta Simpson Brown. She's a storyteller and author in Kentucky. Her stormwalker story originally appeared in The Walking Trees from August House Publishers. That original score was by Yari Bundy, was produced by Ann Ford. Oh, like I said, if you need more spook, be afraid. Each and every week, listen everywhere, any platform, but let somebody know it's the only way this works. And maybe you've heard stories of something more than a connection between people, more than a bond, where one person experiences or feels something, sees something, and that sensation is instantly transmitted to the other. Most often, This is coming upon by people who are identical twins. But some say there are other instances as well. And if you have your own story about this phenomenon, or if you know someone who does, please tell me about it, spooked at SnapJudgment.org. Because there's nothing more amazing than a spook story from a spook listener. And remember... If you like your storytelling under the bright light of day, get the amazing, stupendous sister podcast, Snap Judgment. It's storytelling, a beat. Spook was created by the team that always carries around an amulet for protection, except, of course, for Mark Ristich. He says he knows a special dance that will save him in the end. We'll see. There's David Kim, Taylor DeCott, Zoe Frigno, Ann Ford, Eric Yanez, Leon Morimoto, Marissa Dodge, Miles Lassie, Yari Bundy, Doug Stewart. The spook theme song is by Pat Masidi Miller. My name is in Washington. And this path through shadow does not have markers or way signs. The ones you see are tricks, meant to deceive despite how things appear. You will never walk the same path twice. In many ways, this journey can only be taken alone. So much is smoke, mist, where shortcuts are certain ruins. So we seek a crutch, a guide elevate those who tell us lies. We want to make this easy, but certain things cannot be made easy. I don't have any answers. But I do have one small bit of advice. Never, ever, never, ever, never, ever turn out the lights. this story was summoned in the dark of night by kqed and prx